Morning. How we doing? Good? Great, Jonesy. Thank you. Somebody's got to, you know, get us going here. Um, let's open our Bibles to the book of Philippians in the New Testament, one of Paul's letters. And uh, as you're turning there, I want to commend you on your singing. Uh, you know, it. don't underestimate the witness of singing. It's a sign of a healthy church if they sing <laughs> with not just uh, their voice, but really singing is your whole body engaged in worship to the Lord. So when I hear that, when I hear you guys singing like that, um, it's powerful and it, it tells the world, it tells anybody who doesn't know Jesus that uh, there is a relationship between us, that we truly love him and it's worthy of our whole body worshiping in song, even if we don't really like our voice, uh, we're still willing to use it for the Lord. So, read with me Philippians 4, verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart as I preach would be pleasing in your sight that it would be an act of worship for me to preach and an act of worship for this, your flock, to hear from the chief shepherd through um, a humble, often feeling uh, unworthy to be your under-shepherd, but Lord, help me to be faithful. And may you work that which is pleasing in your sight in us for we want to make it our aim to please you whether we are here or we are home with you. Um, so would you continue to uproot those things that do not bring you glory and do not bring us joy in our lives. By your grace and power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Continue walking through what the historic Christian tradition has thought of as capital vices or sources of many sins and vices. Uh, they are core habits of your heart that branch off into many other sins and destructive behaviors. Um, it's important to remember that for each of us, there are particular sins that are more attractive than others. I think we feel that in our lives. Uh, every temptation is common to man, that's true. But then there are certain things that's just a little easier for me to renounce and say no to and things that are harder to say no to. Um, Satan, if you want to think about it this way, has kind of a sin package that he's selling to each of us. Uh, he knows where we're weaker. He knows where we're more vulnerable. Um, things that tempt our pride and tempt our flesh to a greater degree. I think it's good to be aware of that. Um, both so that when you come to the Lord for grace and help, you can be more specific and you know yourself. I know that this is an issue. I know that this is a struggle. Lord, please help me. But also in terms of patience. 
that especially if it's something difficult for you personally, it's probably going to take more time to unwind in your life. And so be patient with the Lord. Be patient with yourself. Uh, There are certain things that um, will just be besetting for me until the day I die. And I have to keep fighting, but they'll be there. And I will see growth by God's grace. Expect that. Um, But also patience. So we arrive at greed today. Ready for the bloodbath? As I was preparing the sermon, I'm in the middle of writing it. I paused to post my resume on pastorseekingjobs.com. No, I, I challenge you guys. I bring these things to you because I care about you. I love you. I want the best for you. Hope you know that. I think this is an underestimated vice. Um, I'm, I'm not greedy because it just kind of sounds icky, doesn't it? It's just icky. Like, greedy? Really? I mean, maybe some of these other things I might, might be slothful, but greedy. Not like big pharma greedy. That's not what you're saying, is it? Because I, I don't like being compared to them. I don't want to be in that same category. It makes me uncomfortable. Or, or we don't really think we're greedy because we aren't rich. We don't have that much money. I mean, don't you have to be rich in order to be greedy? No. No. I'm not taking baths in my money. I'm, I'm, I'm simply middle class at most. I can't be greedy. It's also underestimated because I think most of us have been taught from an early age that money is a big deal. It's a big deal. You need to earn it. You need to save it. Spend it. Money is life. If that's the water you're swimming in, if that's the air you're breathing, you may not think there's anything wrong with you, and there may be something very wrong with you. Because you have let the culture around you define what is good and what is not. And you don't know. A fish doesn't know it's in water until it's outside of it. So we need the Word of God to inform us. We need the Word of God to shape us, not necessarily just what we're used to or what we were taught or what, how I grew up or what I'm used to, what's normal. I think culturally, especially in uh, America, greed is easy to justify. I'm just being wise. I'm just working hard. I'm just taking care of my family. I'm just planning ahead. Are you saying I shouldn't plan? It's, it's deceitful. So we want the Lord to deal with us today. We want to be shaped and informed by the standard of Scripture, which is, this is why we call it the canon of Scripture. It's the, it's the measure. It's the mark. It's what we measure our lives against, not necessarily what's normal. So first the problem of greed and then the solution. problem. Simply put, greed is the pattern of caring too much about money and possessions. Greed is the pattern of caring too much about money and possessions. Whether you have a lot or a little, whether you're a saver or a spender, whether you're seven years old or 77 years old, your mind, your heart is focused on finances. 
You're focused on it. 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving. Did you hear the, what, what kind of words are those? Love, craving. Not about how much money, not about whether you're a, a spender or a saver. No, not, it's not just spenders who are greedy. It's a focus. It's a desire. It's a want. It's a fixation. It's a that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Greed brings pain into your life. Greed brings burdens. It brings anxiety. It brings selfishness. It ruins relationships. It destroys peace with God. It keeps you from the joy of generosity. It's a mess. It, it, it will get, the poison will seep into so many areas of life. So many pangs that you pierce yourself with because you're focused and you care too much about money and things. How does it show up in your life? Lots of ways, surprising ways. Let me give you a few. How much do you think about money? Every week, how many hours would you say are thinking about getting enough money, having enough money, keeping enough money? What happens if you lose money? How much do you talk about money? How many conversations do you turn toward money or something related to money? Oh, my gosh. It's just so expensive, you know. I can't believe this. We're worried about our savings. Just keep having to dip into it for this and that. And I'm just concerned. I'm worried, you know. We, we work so hard to get there. Something as simple as somebody compliments you. Oh, I like your shoes. Oh, thanks. I got them half off. At a garage sale, on the must-go rack. Well, I just say thank you. Yeah, I like them. They're cool. It feels virtuous. We virtue signal caring about money. Because we think that makes us look better, virtuous, because we're very concerned. We talk about it. Just Listen. Jesus' teaching is that whatever you think about a lot and whatever you talk about a lot reveals the treasure of your heart. It's pretty devastating, but it's true. That's how you know. Greed shows up in how intense you get about money, how emotional, how angry. Um, I've seen it in churches. I've seen it in our church at times where... You're having a discussion, you're going along, you're talking about this and that and important things, not, you know, trivial things. And everybody's calm, everybody's respectful, and then you touch on something related to money. And boy, everybody's chili gets real hot. It's like, what just happened? Is that a coincidence? Maybe, maybe I care too much about money. 
Because these other things that are weightier matters of the kingdom of God, I don't get emotional about. I don't get angry. But when I touch on something with money, look out. I'm hot. How intense do you get? What do you get intense about? Greed shows up in thinking of things as mine. It's mine. I earn that money. I work for that money. I'll do what I want with my money. Occasionally we hear it from our kids. Coming up through the floorboards. Um, a blood-curdling scream. That's mine! Hmm. Hmm. It's very hard to share or lend what you view as your money, your car, your house, your toys, your tools, your Tupperware. It's my Tupperware. Give it back. It's mine. It's my stuff. I earned it. I bought it. But then you bump into Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to Him. Oh, <laughs> that might be a game changer. Is anything really mine? Greed shows up in stinginess. You save the most and best for yourself. Uh, kids, kids, I need your attention. When you race to the front of the line in front of everyone else to get your food first, that's greed. When you take the biggest helping for yourself, that's greed. When you take the best helping for yourself, and you know what I'm talking about, there's some soggy fries and there's some crisp fries, and you leave the soggy ones for somebody else. I want the hot crisp ones. And you kind of do it subtly, like, like mix them a little together so no one thinks you did that, but you know you did that. That's greed. When you're willing to be last, the last one to put food on your plate, and you want other people to enjoy the best, you're free. You are free from greed, and you are enjoying the generosity of the gospel. Adults, <laughs> I think you know when you save the most and best for yourself and your family. And everybody else gets the leftovers. I'm not going to go into examples, but you know. You know in your heart when you just, just you build that little fence, we're going to get ours, and then maybe. I really want this for me, but you can have this. I don't really want that that much. You can have it. In the gospel, Jesus puts you first and himself last. He gives you the best as he took the cross. You could be first in the kingdom because he made himself last. We are to reflect that. That is the nature of the kingdom of God. And when we don't, when we don't, we witness to something that is not true about God, and that's serious. How about stinginess in the church? You don't tithe your first fruits. Maybe if you have something left over at the end of the month, you give it to the church. If you remember. 
Well, I forgot. Well, I didn't remember. You know, it's interesting. You made sure a lot of other financial priorities were taken care of over the course of the month. You made sure things that you needed and your family needed. Amazon was very busy coming to your house all month. But when you get to the end of the month, man, it's hard to remember to give to the Lord. I have to write a check. I mean, oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. That's so hard. Okay. That's greed. Greed shows up in a lack of mercy. Your attachment to money and possessions hardens your heart toward those in need. So what I'm talking about here is your instinct, your first thought, your default. When you see someone in need, whether it's someone close to you, it's someone far away from you, it's somebody on the street, it's somebody in your church, whatever, your first thought may be, if you weren't If you were more smart, if you were stronger, if you were more like me, you wouldn't be in need. If only everybody could be more like you. So self-sufficient, so self-reliant, so smart, making all the right moves so you don't have any needs, you don't need anyone ever, you don't have to ask for money ever, you just... Okay, if that's your default, if that's your first instinct, when you see a need, you are proud, arrogant, and greedy. It's just that blunt. It's anti-gospel. It's a blasphemy against the gospel. If your default is it must be their fault, And I ain't bailing them out. It's anti-gospel. What is the gospel? God bailing you out. 100%. You ruined your life. You were going to hell. It's your fault. And what did God do? I love you and I will bail you out by the death of my son. Great cost, the ultimate cost to me. And it's unconditional. All you have to do is say, yes, I receive it. That is the gospel. And when we don't act that way toward those in need, it's wrong. And God is not pleased. And John says, how, how, how can the love of God reside in your heart when you act that way? We need to hear it. Qualifier. Can it sometimes hurt someone more than help them to hand them money? Yes. Maybe they need your time, your energy, your investment, your prayer, your care, your love, more than your money. They need a hand up more than a hand out. Yes, absolutely. You have to be wise. You have to be discerning. What is the most loving thing I can do here? What I'm talking about is your instinct, your pattern, your habit. 
You just get anno- I mean, do you just get annoyed when people are needy? That is a heart problem. God is not annoyed at your need. He loves to meet your needs. Be careful. Greed hides underneath American values like self-reliance. The good news of the gospel is not, I ain't bailing you out. God bailing you out is your only hope. It begins as unconditional, and then, and then, does he ask things of you? Yes, absolutely. Okay, I've given you eternal life. I've given you the Holy Spirit. I've changed your heart. I've given you power to grow and change. Now change. I'm asking something of you. That's not wrong. But the initial instinct, the movement towards someone, that is unconditional. No strings attached. I just love you. I want to help you, whatever that looks like. When you come across someone who is ruining their life and you have 50 things in your head of what they should have done, you shouldn't have done that, you should have done this, what are you thinking, why would you make that decision, that was dumb, that was sinful, that was stupid, remember, you are looking in a mirror, spiritually speaking. That's you, as God sees you, but worse. Do you believe that? Greed shows up as a habit of reducing every decision to money. How much is it going to cost? That's really all that matters. (laughs) Give me the bottom line. How much does it cost? What's going to cost me? There's no consideration for other things that might lead to human flourishing. Like, is this going to encourage someone? Is this going to bless them? Is it going to accommodate them? Is it going to be enjoyable for them? Just about money. How much is it going to cost? A lot of times those things require money to help us flourish as human beings. Maybe even outside the budget. Sometimes husbands, you should take your wife out and just spend a bunch of money. We're going out. We're going to a nice restaurant. uh, uh, We're not ordering water. We are getting dessert. We are not splitting dessert. We are going to a nice hotel. And oh, by the way, we got the suite, and here's a gift for you. I see a lot of elbowing happening right now. I don't know why. Why would you do that? Because you cannot reduce your relationship with your wife to fiscal responsibility. She's special. You care about her more than a large savings account. I hope. Not everything is reducible to how much is this going to cost me. There should be a place for acts of extravagance in your life. This is the opposite of how Judas viewed life. In John 12, he gets very angry at Mary for uh, wasting expensive ointment on Jesus' feet. 
John 12, 5, he says, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? In other words, what a waste. Do you know what we could have done with that money? We could have funded ministry for a year. We could have fixed the plumbing. We need to fix the plumbing. And you wasted it. What would you have said if you were there? What would you have thought? You just watched a year's salary, and that's what it was, used for one night putting oil on a guest's head and feet, and it smelled nice. Whatever your salary is for a year, that's what you just watched happen right there. How would you respond? What would you think? Would your thinking be in line with Jesus' thinking? What does Jesus say? What was his reaction? Well, Judas, you're right. That was not very uh, good stewardship by Mary. Um, and, you know, Mary, you, you could have gotten the off-brand essential oil, at least. I mean, you didn't have to get, and, and you used so much. I mean, we could have saved it for another time. No, he rebukes Judas. Leave her alone. That was an act of worship. When was the last time you did something like Mary did? An act of extravagance. Man, it would be so healthy for some of you to do that. It would be so good for you, so freeing to just let it go. And you know, Mary shouldn't have felt guilty. I don't know if she did or not. I hope not, but she shouldn't have. Not according to the way Jesus responded. And I think some of you labor under such guilt for ever doing anything enjoyable, for ever paying full price for anything, for ever just having something nice that you like, that you feel guilty, apologize for it, tell everybody how, how, how you know, didn't cost that much or I got a deal or whatever. Because you feel guilty. That's not from God. I can tell you who it is from. So much false guilt. So much false guilt. doesn't mean it's not good to live simply. It's not, it doesn't mean it's not good to be content. It is. But it's also not good to think that God is stingy. God never wants this kind of thing to happen. He would have rebuked Mary, not Judas, if that were true. If your typical gut reaction toward opportunities to practice acts of extravagance or even something approaching that, just tiptoeing in that direction, is, yeah, that's going to be expensive. Greed has a grip on your heart. Lastly, greed can show up as prodigality. $10 word, the prodigal son. Prodigal, you're, 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 you're too loose with money. You're too easy with money. You're too, just passes through your hands. Too, you know, money does have a value. 
And often it's we're too, holding that too tightly. Our grip is too tight. Sometimes it's too loose. Um, some of you, a few of you, may struggle on this side of the coin. I worked at a bank for seven years, and the last few years I, I managed wealthier clients' relationship with the bank. So I was dealing with a lot of money, and I saw a lot of greed. Um, honestly, it was good for me because it, it helped me see the ugliness of it and to pray about my own heart. Like, wow, I, I, I don't want to be like that. I think I might be a little bit like that. I need to pray. Because it was on display every single day, and there were cases of prodigality. I managed literal trust fund kids who had no idea how to handle money because they just had so much. Uh, they'd spend $10,000 like it was a dollar. You know, they, just, they just didn't care, really. <laughs> you know, they, my buddy from high school called me up, and he's like, hey, man, I got this great idea for a pizza shop. We're going to put candy toppings on the pizza. It's going to be awesome. And... I was like, bro, that's genius. How much do you need? Can I wire you a million to get started? And you're like, what did you just say? Um, can I advise you again? But they, they, it's just whatever. It didn't matter. Prodigality. Far more often, I saw greed in the form of trying to acquire money and fear of losing it. Trying to acquire it and fearing losing it. And I'll tell you, the happiest people were the ones holding money with the lightest grip. Truth. The lighter the grip, the happier you will be. And this can be extremely challenging for those of you who grew up without much money. Some in actual poverty, and some just always pinching pennies. You know, we just never have enough. It's always, it's always tight. It's always difficult. Um, and I just want to acknowledge that that experience shapes you, that will shape you, that has shaped you. Um, my grandparents grew up in the Great Depression. <laughs> that shaped them. And my grandma lived on a farm in Kansas in the Dust Bowl during that time. That shaped them. And I experienced that being in their home. Some of you may know that uh, I often take my time in deliberating what I want to order at a restaurant. Where's Jeremy? Don't, eat, don't say anything. Don't laugh. Stop it. When I was a kid, that took the form of standing in front of the fridge with it open, deliberating on what I wanted to eat. And my grandpa would let me have it because that costs money. Electricity costs money. You, you know what you want to eat before you open the fridge. Uh and that's not necessarily wrong. It's good to be thoughtful. It's good to not be wasteful. It's good to be aware of those things. I appreciate that. I know it, it's not wrong to escape poverty. Okay? But for some of you, this is a controlling fear. Ending up in the place you've worked so hard to escape. So you fret, you worry, you overwork, you overhoard your resources because you just need to know that you're going to have enough. You never want to go back there. You never want to experience that again. And it drives you, controls you. Understand this, you are still being controlled by money, just in a different way. 
you're not free. And the truth is, money can never give you, ever, the security that you're looking for. Oh, wait. It can never. It just can't. You're guaranteed to lose your money. Guaranteed. Only the promises of God can free you. Only something solid. Only something you can count on. Absolutely. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He is providing for you. And he will come again to bring you home. That leads us to the solution. Three things. Trusting, giving, sharing. First, trusting. What we are saying in the grooves of greed is this. I trust money more than God. Paul had financial troubles, and in the context of that, he tells the Philippians of his faith in God's faithfulness. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. In a nutshell, that's the cure. I believe there are riches, spiritual, material, in glory, in heaven, that are mine. This is when it's okay to say mine. My God, my salvation in Christ, there are riches in heaven for me. So imagine a big pot, and God is watching over your life, and every time you have a need, he takes a scoop, and he just pours it out on you. It's there. It's it's already purchased. It's already... He's not withholding anything that you need. Now, the problem is sometimes we feel like, okay, you're saying you're going to be faithful. You're, you're going to give me everything I need. It doesn't seem like you're doing a good job. When I look around in my life, when I look at this situation, this is the riches in Christ Jesus. This is the good stuff. God only withholds material blessing from you for one reason, to shape your character. So that you would depend on him more and money less. So that you would realize this is, this is a mirage. This is fake. This is phony. This is trivial. This is ephemeral. It's not going to last, but God will. That's why. It's why in the next life, he will give us every material blessing. Because we won't need to be shaped in our character. We'll, we'll be like Christ. Completely. Here's the promise. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Pleasure. That is what frees you from fear. Jesus says, fear not, little flock. Fear not. That is what empowers you to detach from money. And and I would just say to those of you who are, are thinking about becoming a Christian, you're not sure if you're a Christian, Jesus simply asks you to let go of what you cannot keep and receive what you cannot lose. That's his offer. Give up what you cannot keep. Guaranteed to gain what you cannot lose in me. Will you come to Jesus? Will you come to Jesus? You are no fool if you come to Jesus. And everyone in heaven and everyone in hell knows it. What are you building your life on, guys? Is it the rock? 
Is it a sure foundation? What happens when a storm comes? What happens when something hard comes? You didn't expect this to happen in your life. What are you building your life on? There's only one foundation, Jesus Christ, that will not crumble. Even in death, he cannot be taken away from you. Number two, giving. Trusting, giving. The practice of giving forms new grooves in your heart. And just practically a simple start would be, as a family, intentionally give something away every month. You know, put it on your whiteboard, put it on your fridge, whatever you need to do, just give something away. Hand somebody a $100 bill. Make them a meal. Bring it over. Take them out to do something fun. I got it. We're paying. It's on us. Buy them something that they would want but never would buy for themselves. And maybe do it anonymously. Hard for the vainglorious. But you just develop those muscles, those muscles of giving, of of just giving away. Just, Just here. And you're thinking about others instead of yourself all the time. One author says it this way, tithing works like a Sabbath, and she means in a broad sense, from our natural tendencies to save and spend on ourselves first and foremost. Take a break from that. Instead, we give and rely on God. Like feasting after fasting, the habit of tithing and the generosity for which it frees us reorders our loves and teaches us a new life-giving rhythm. It will work. It is powerful. When you change your habits, even by the force of your will, your heart will follow. You will become more generous and a less greedy person. Force yourself. (laughs) A good order to think about your check every month is to the Lord first. Your tithe. Give to others second. How can you be generous? Save if you can. Third. Fourth, now we think about ourselves. Trying to teach that to our kids. Now, how do you prioritize that? Because there's a lot of needs out there, isn't there? I mean, can we meet them all? I feel kind of small. It's like, I mean, I don't have that much money. I can't do everything. I can't meet every need that comes across my desk. I found a helpful principle is the principle of proximity. Meaning, the closer the need the greater the obligation to help. So somebody that's near you, starting with your family, your close friends, your church, okay, people that are in your orbit, things that just kind of come across your desk. You hear about them. You find out about them. You you know about them. Okay, that's my first priority. This is biblical. It's in the Old Testament law. It's in Galatians 6.10. Do good to all people as you have opportunity, but especially to those of the household of faith. Um. It doesn't mean you can't go beyond that, and sometimes you should, absolutely. But it it becomes more of a, you may do this versus you ought to do this. Every need is not a, you ought to meet it. There are certain needs, you, you yeah, you better meet it. You need to. You're commanded to. And then there are some, it's just up to you. How does God lead you? In your conscience. You know generosity is becoming a virtue in your life when giving becomes easy and enjoyable. 
Um, it's not I have to, but I get to. You, you do something nice for someone, it doesn't feel like rubbing sandpaper on your face for an hour. It's fun. It was fun. Man, when do we get to do that again? That was awesome. Thomas Aquinas once said, the generous are ready to give with pleasure when and where they ought. When it starts to become fun, that's when you know you're on a good track. Lastly, sharing. You push back on greed by viewing things less in terms of mine, more in terms of ours. What some have called common goods. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have private ownership. (laughs) I'm not a socialist. Daddy, he said the S word. I'm not saying that the New Testament is socialism. That's not what Acts 4 means. The early church did not practice socialism. They had all goods in common. Not what that means. Not saying that. What I am saying is that especially in the family and in the church, we view material things more as this is ours versus this is mine. In the home, my room, my phone, my tablet, my food, my toys, my, 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 don't touch it. Get away, that's mine. You didn't ask, that's mine. It's dark. You know, when we say to someone when they come over, make yourself at home, that's the idea. What do we mean when we say that? What's mine is yours. It's ours while you're here. You don't have to ask to get a glass of water. Please, just help yourself. Mikasa sukasa. Like, that's the idea. If you find people more and more feeling relaxed, comfortable, safe in your home, that's a good sign. Like, they believe you want them to just relax and enjoy themselves and not be on eggshells because they might do something wrong. They might touch something or go somewhere they're not supposed to. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Slow down there, killer. If that's how people feel, if that's how your kids feel, I mean, that this is not a good sign. Ours, not mine. Of course, there are limits. Of course, you can take it too far. But that's the principle. Now, not saying you have to do this, something Carrie and I do. We have a conviction about it. I understand it doesn't work with boys and girls. But we have decided that we will never let our kids have their own room. And I mean never. When they are married, we will go into their house and we... Separate rooms, you two. No. While they're in our home, we want to teach them, force them, that they have to think about somebody else. I have four girls, so it works, but... That's our principle. I grew up in a home where I always had my own room, and it was nice, probably because I was selfish. And I like that. It's my room. Get out. I can do my room the way I want to do it. You can't touch anything in my room. In a small way, we're trying to drive that out of our kids. You're always going to have a roommate. So you have to think of everything in your room as not just belonging to you, but belonging to someone else. You have to consider them. You can't just do stuff. Food for thought. How about in the church? Where does mine show up? This is my ministry. You ever heard that? Just a, 
alarm, sirens, red flags, problem. Somebody says that. It's my ministry. You can't take it from me. This is my row. I'm going to give my money to the church for what I want you to use it for. It all belongs to Jesus. Well, he just lets us kind of take care of it and work together for a little while. Try to be good stewards. Try to partner with him in his ministry. It's not mine. It's ours. It's his. The big idea is we want to develop an instinct of the heart that finds joy in someone enjoying. That finds joy in someone enjoying. I want to share the blessing, not hoard it. And over time, you practice these things, God will change your heart. You will become less greedy. And He is. He is working. He is working. We apply ourselves to that work, but He is working. Be patient. Wait for Him to finish. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for um, the clarity of Your Word, the sufficiency of Your Word, that it touches on all areas of our life, and, and it makes us uncomfortable at times, Lord, but um, you love us, and so you afflict the comfortable to make us uncomfortable so that we would become who we were meant to be. I pray this word would have its way in hearts and minds, and Lord, that we might enjoy all of the riches we have in Christ Jesus more and more. In Jesus' name.